0: chapter nineteen of the untempered wind by joanna wood this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by bruce peary the road to death is life the gate of life is death we who wake shall sleep we shall wax who wane let us not vex our souls for stoppage of a breath the fall of a river that turneth not again All things are vain that wax and wane, For which we waste our breath. Love only doth not wane, and is not vain. Love only outlives death. The winter set in, a dreary desolate winter Of wind and rain, mud and slush. The snow never lay upon the ground for two days together, And the air, unpurified by frosts, hung heavy and dank over the land a black new year makes a green graveyard says the old proverb and the wisdom of these old saws was demonstrated yet again that year in jamestown for there was much sickness there was hardly a family that had not lost a member scarcely a house in which there was no illness there's a terrible lot of sickness said mrs deans to mrs wilson one day at the church door yes a terrible sight of it agreed mrs wilson the old folks is dropping fast but what's an ordinary sickness to what i've bore with that's so said mrs deans but a living sorrow's worse than a dead one they say and it's terrible when one's own flesh and blood goes wrong yes replied mrs wilson but it's terrible discouraging when they're cut down in the midst and no one can say what doest thou mrs wilson's tone implied that there might be some consolation if she were permitted to talk back at the lord mrs deans noticed this and said warningly don't murmur whatever you do don't murmur we can't tell what a day may bring forth look at me what i have to put up with henry all crippled up and not able to earn salt for his bread no don't murmur whatever you do i ain't a murmuring said mrs wilson somewhat aggrieved i'm sure it ain't homer it's his soul i'm thinking on might as well be took off in a fiery chariot as killed the way he was oh it's discouraging i'm bound to say it is condescended mrs deans enough to take the ambition out of one altogether i suppose you haven't heard about old mr carroll have you why no said mrs Wilson, abruptly suspending the task of sniffling into her handkerchief under pretence of weeping. Why, no? You don't tell me he's sick? Yes, it seems he was taken last night with spasms, and they say he might have died, and no one been the wiser, but one of that Dedham tribe he was always feeding up, came over to beg something, and there he laid on the floor. Well, for the land's sake! ejaculated mrs Wilson yes i'm going over after dinner i sent myron holder over to do what's needed this morning they say the only words the old man spoke since he was took was to tell them to send to town for a doctor here mrs wilson and mrs deans parted each joining different groups and spreading the news of mr carroll's seizure the women resolved to go and see the ins and outs of his house for themselves sickness is such an admirable excuse for impertinent curiosity to gratify itself the men speculated as to what would become of his property there had been a story at the time he bought the property some hint of family trouble some whisper that he had money back of him a hazy tale that he had come to hide from some sorrow that pursued him but all conjecture was so vague that instead of giving birth to any definite idea it died away only to be aroused when the village wondered at some act of generosity upon his part old carroll lived among them quietly paying his taxes going his own way and expressing himself freely upon every subject but his own affairs a week after his seizure he died and a lawyer's clerk came from town and took possession of the house and charge of the funeral in very different fashion from what his neighbors expected for the body was taken away and sent to the great city which in their eyes typified babylon with all its sin and splendor the lawyer's clerk spoke with much deference of the dead man and signified that the name of carol was high in the land whereat the villagers bethought themselves that they had entertained an angel unawares and were inclined to accuse the dead man of doing them mrs deans boasted much of the intimacy of her husband with the old soldier and speedily forgot the latter's impious sneers at foreign missions the farm was advertised for sale and disney bought the land he had so long worked on shares disney and his family moved into the empty house conjecture and interest gradually died away in the great city a woman with brittle dyed hair and simpering lips and powdered throat laughed as turning over a trunk full of odds and ends packed by the lawyer's clerk she came upon a miniature set in pearls laughed and looked at the picture long but the laugh died as she noted the freshness of the pictured face. Crossing the room she set the miniature against her own cheek and leaned close to a mirror, comparing the two, and presently she cast the painting from her and fled from the mirror with widened eyes. "'I am old, old,' she said. He is dead and I am old it is this room which is too light it is glaring horrible and she drew even closer the shades of silk through which the light shone with a soft roseate glow then she searched for and found the picture where it had fallen on a soft rug and again went to the mirror but, if the dimmer light softened the lines in her face, it gave the pictured face another charm- the soft illusion of mystery and youth. The woman gazed at the dual reflection long until her breath blurred the mirror, so that all was blotted out save the brightness of the gold frame and a pair of wild questioning eyes. A sharp sob parted her lips, and the mirror was empty not long after this woman was found dead by her side was an empty bottle such as they sell poison in and in her hand was a painting of a beautiful woman framed in gold those who found her said the picture resembled her a little but this was far away from jamestown where myron lived and suffered that winter was a very busy one for her tender of touch strong of arm brave of heart she was an ideal nurse it is said a great grief has before now made a poet out of what was only a man myron's sorrows had changed her from a commonplace woman to a creature of most subtle sympathies the pleading of pained eyes was eloquent to her and the curves of dumb lips told her the tale of their sufferings the touch of her hand brought rest the pressure of her palms peace whilst the infinite sympathy from a heart that had itself been smitten eased those pangs which keener than any physical anguish rend those that are near death but myron herself reaped no blessing of peace from these duties what a strange fantasy it is to dream as many do that the occupation of nursing is one which heals a hurt heart and reconciles yearning hands to their emptiness what dreary days did myron not know what solemn silent nights when alone she sat at misery's banquet and supped with sorrow with shame regret and betrayed trust to hand the dish we live in deeds not years in thoughts not breaths in feelings not in figures on a dial we should count time by heart-throbs so some one says and reckoning by this higher notation how many centuries of weariness had not myron lived the spring months came scarce changed in sky from those of winter only the gathering heat of the sun sent up sorrow from the ground malaria influenza and typhoid overspread the country the whole neighborhood was gloomy the rain fell day after day the plough horses splashed through mud and the furrows filled with water behind the plough myron had been working at a cousin's of mrs warner's whose baby was sick unto death the child died and its mother in the first rebellion of grief had said to myron tain't just i can't think it is nor right neither for my baby to be taken when there's so many left alive that ain't any use there's old humphreys and paralytic henry deans and drunken ann lemon what's the good of them to anybody It's a shame Myron soothed her as well as she could, but she burst forth again. Fancy my child dead! If it had been that young one of yours now, there would have been some sense in it-a young one without even a name. That would have been a good riddance. But mine, mine." mine-for once Myron's very soul was shaken with rage. She turned where she stood and looked the other woman in the face. "oh" she cried "you wicked wicked woman" the words carried all the accusation of outraged motherhood in their tones the woman shrank back and myron taking her boy set off to the village it began to rain before they were halfway myron's thoughts turned to homer she never forgot him for long at a time it falls to the lot of few to be so sincerely sorrowed for she and mai were both wet through when they reached the cottage and myron was very weary with the boy's weight she lit the fire and mai played about in the kitchen he was of a peculiarly sunny and equable disposition one of those happy souls which are the salt of the earth and without whom the world would smell like what it is a tomb myron was glad when the time came for bed for she was utterly weary the old clock on the wall was pointing to one o'clock when myron suddenly started up wide awake the mother instinct keener than her other faculties had awakened her not the boy for the strange low gurgling sound he made would scarce have aroused the lightest sleeper and myron had been sunk in the deep sleep of exhaustion in a moment she had the lamp alight the boy lay his blue eyes wide open his round cheeks scarlet with the fatal flush of fever his lips swollen and parted in gasping respirations his body almost rigid with the efforts he made for breath one glance showed her this the next instant she was undoing the little night-dress and shirt with tremulous haste she placed some goose grease in a little tin and strove to melt it by holding it over the lamp the light was weak and wavering she removed the chimney and thrust the cup into the flame her fingers scorched till the skin cracked she did not know it she applied the melted oil and flew to wet his parched lips the horrible croupy cough cut her to the heart as it issued from My's swollen throat she used every remedy her homely skill suggested some of them efficacious enough often but little My was dying his blue eyes were filming his baby lips twitching the little hands that had of late grasped her fingers so firmly as to suggest protection made wavering feeble movements toward her face and bosom or clutched with waning strength at his own tortured throat she knelt beside the bed she hardly dared touch the little form before her lest the mother in her which had grown fierce in her dread should cause her to clasp it too close she lifted her voice in prayer and cried aloud in frightful accents of despair entreaty expostulation nay even of threatening no prayer more eloquent of human agony ever beat against deaf skies yet it was but the repetition of one word my my an hour crept by the flush had deepened on my's cheeks his eyes were glazed once again, in surpassing pain, Myron Holder called aloud her child's name. There came no heavenly answer, but the true little heart, beating so faintly, responded once more to the beloved voice. Little Mai's eyes cleared a space, and his fingers closed round his mother's. "'Mai's mamma, he uttered the illiterate of little Babel in strange shackled tones. The woman, his mother, felt a stricture at her throat. She strove in vain to force it down as she answered, "Mamma's Mai. A strange change passed over the little gray face, like a gleam of sunlight on a wintry day, hardly that, like the watery nimbus of the sun through a cloud. It was little Mai's last smile mamma's my," the woman whispered and true to his love-taught lesson mai strove to give the answer mys mamma the first word was articulate the last but half-shaped ere the stiffening lips were drawn in the convulsion which ended time for little mai over him the eclipsing curse of birth had lost its power at daybreak next morning a messenger knocked long at the door of the holder cottage he had been sent in haste to summon myron back to the house she had left in such anger the day before finding he could get no response he lifted the latch and entered the kitchen it was empty there was a strong odor of kerosene oil and absolute silence reigned the man crossed the kitchen to an open door and looking in saw the bedroom upon a little table stood a lamp which had evidently burned itself out the chimney was off and a great sooty blotch against the wall showed how the wick had smoked in a chair by the bed sat myron holder her eyes fixed straight before her her pose rigid her face pale as that of the dead child she held upon her knees what is it myron he gasped he's dead said myron in the hoarse tones of one whose throat muscles are constrained and swollen the man turned and made for mrs warner's the cottage soon filled myron neither stirred nor spoke they took the child and prepared it for burial they told her to eat and she swallowed the bread and tea they placed before her all her faculties were benumbed absorbed in an effort to realize her loss the little plain coffin was in the kitchen surrounded by a group of people that filled the room those who considered it part of a christian's bounden duty to attend funerals mr prue sent for by mrs deans had just finished his address myron with bare head and hands clasped on her knees was seated by the coffin gazing down at the face there when there was a sudden stir at the door and mrs wilson pushed herself through the throng wait she said authoritatively to mr muir who was advancing to screw down the coffin lid wait then she turned to myron holder listen to me myron holder she said is that child my grandson No said myron rising to her feet and giving a helpless look around at the curious faces about her what said mrs wilson what you'll lie in the very face of your dead child lay your hand on that coffin myron holder and then tell me if that ain't homer's son myron sank by the coffin and flung her arms athwart it he is not she cried then her long calm gave way and she began to sob and cry he belongs to none of you he is mine my own baby my own child my my mrs wilson left the house mr muir put aside the clinging arms and prepared the coffin for burial some one led myron to a wagon and she got in mr muir was not free from fears when they stopped at the pauper's corner of the graveyard myron looked around half dazed when she alighted and advancing touched mr muir's arm why here she asked pointing to the open grave why not by father your grandmother sold the other half of the lot said mr muir hastily Mrs. Deans watched the little scene with much inward satisfaction. Myron made no further sign, uttered no other word. The coffin was lowered into the grave. Mr. Prue put up a prayer in which petitions for the child of sin and the sinful mother were about equally balanced. The throng departed, each to his own place. Old Humphreys filled up the grave, and Myron was left alone the next day she went to mr muir's and inquired how much she owed him he told her and to his surprise she paid him at once then she set out for town along dreary country roads betwixt desolate fields until she came to the outskirts of the straggling town through these until she was absorbed in the hurrying throng that crowded the narrow streets It was very late when she returned to Jamestown, and as she passed the dean's place she encountered Gamaliel, just returning from some expedition with his bosom friend. "Hello, Myron. Where've you been?' he asked. "'I've been to town,' said Myron, still in those strange hard tones, and passed on there was much speculation as to her errand which was set at rest when a few days later a wagon entered the little graveyard and the men who came with it proceeded to put up a tiny white tablet at the head of a new-made grave on it there was carved only one word and that a short one my a word which in its brevity and meaning was not unsuitable as an inscription over that grave myron had spent the last penny of her painful savings in marking the spot where her child lay let grief be her own mistress still she loveth her own anguish deep more than much pleasure let her will be done to weep or not to weep so says the humanest of our poets but such luxurious grieving is for those who fare delicately and live in kings' courts. Myronholder had her bread to earn her feet were tied to the treadmill of toil, so she fared forth on her journey as best she might, and then, and for long after Jamestown women told how Myronholder perjured herself with her hand on her dead child's coffin. End of chapter 19